Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem, and welcome to another Middle East review of uh, TV7. With me is Colonel Iran Lerman, myself, Ambassador Danny Ayalon, and this time we have a lot to cover. This has been a very, very hectic month in the Middle East. Actually, as we speak, uh, we've had a few days ago uh, a visit, first visit of uh, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, who came in the wake of the uh, Gaza war or the Gaza uh, campaign. I believe he came to pick up um, and establish uh, American leadership and to show how America was involved in the ceasefire that was arranged. Uh, I'm not sure how uh, much uh, they did contribute. I think it was mostly the Egyptians, but uh, Iran will uh, tell us more um, about it. But I think this shows again that the adage that if you don't visit the Middle East, the Middle East will come and visit you, haunting you. And if um, the Biden administration thought that they could keep an arm's length from the Middle East and move from a uh, conflict resolution uh, paradigm to a conflict management, they realized that this cannot really be sustainable. And of course, the last crisis uh, showed that. So here we have the visit. It will be interesting to see what are the uh, objectives of uh, the visit here, uh, short range, long range. And of course, as we discuss all the implications from uh, this campaign on Gaza, on the Palestinian Authority, on Israel, on the region, And again, we should never, never take off our eyes from Iran. Tehran is the core of all bad things that happen here. And also in this campaign, I don't think that uh, Hamas would have been able to be so effective without the support, financing of Iran, ideology of Iran. Training. and And training. And if it was up to Iran they would have opened a uh, second front from Hezbollah in the north, but the Hezbollah is still kept at bay, uh, leaking its wounds from the operation or still deterred from the operation back in 2006. So, Iran, what do you uh, make out of all these uh, things? Put uh, the pieces uh, in the right place of the puzzle. Well, uh, clearly we need to keep our eyes focused on the Iranian question because the nuclear portfolio, uh, is uh, going into a crucial period uh, in the run-up uh, to the uh, Iranian presidential elections, which are bound to bring to power... June the, 18th. June 18th, which are bound to bring to power uh, a radical uh, uh, hardliner for the simple reason that none of the uh, reformists were uh, allowed or, or given an opportunity to run. So um, uh, whether or not there will be an agreement prior to that uh, is is open to question. And uh, the uh, IAEA has extended its its monitoring arrangements for another month precisely because right now there is no uh, breakthrough in Vienna. And with all of this happening, uh, the conflict in Gaza acquires a very significant meaning look uh, into as a kind of trial run, as a test run of what might happen here if Iran persists on pursuing a military nuclear option and Israel makes the inevitable decision to stop this by any means open to us. Um, 
there's clearly a willingness uh, on the American side to return to the JCPOA, more or less. But this will not keep the Iranians in check for very long. Uh, it may, it may uh, roll back the current uh, thrust uh, towards the bomb, but not by, many, by, not by much, certainly not by many years. And therefore, the military option is there. I actually think that the reason Hezbollah uh, keeps its powder dry is also against the eventuality of a large-scale large conflict. They don't want to waste what they have on, uh, and, and be destroyed in the, in the effort on anything less than deterring Israel from going after the Iranian project. This is what Iran has paid for. This is why they have acquired Although this we tool have, called Hezbollah. Although we have seen Iran, that, uh, the arsenal that the, uh, Hamas acquired was also in the thought, in the strategic thinking of Iran to use it in a rainy day or when and if there is a, uh, an operation in Iran to deter well, Israel. Yes, but they are a marginal element at the end of the day. Hezbollah has the massive uh, capacity. And, uh, and Hamas is at the end of the day, um, I keep saying there's a difference here, a difference of proposi- different proposition, literally speaking. Hamas works with the Iranians. Whereas Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah and Houthis in Yemen and elements of the Hashashab in Iraq, they work for the Iranians. They are Iranian, parcel of the Iranian establishment. They, yes, yeah. they are Iranian proxies, fully owned Iranian proxies. Yeah. Uh, with local considerations in, in every place, Hezbollah has to bear in mind that they live in a, in a devastated country, Lebanon, which would be devastated much further if they, go, if they take their country and, uh, against its will to a war with Israel. And the consequences for, for the Lebanese people would be catastrophic. And they can see this if they look at what happened in Gaza, they understand what the consequences would be. So Hezbollah has elements uh, it has to take into consideration, but it is still a fully owned Iranian country. And Iran, we have to remember that Hezbollah has become less and less popular in Lebanon, especially due to the mass explosion of their munitions that were kept in the Lebanese harbor, in the Lebanese port. Well, it was uh, um, ammonium nitrate, uh, which Hezbollah, it's not a munition as such, but it is. it was utilized by Hezbollah in various places. So apparently they, they were all in favor of yeah, keeping we, this we stockpile. We call it dual use, we call it, yeah. Dual use, yes. You may remember that Timothy McVeigh, when he blew up the Oklahoma federal sure, building, sure. used uh, five tons of, of Sec- exactly yes. that. So, and, there, and, and in Beirut, there were more than 2,000 tons. So, so you can understand why a lot of Lebanese are very angry. Now, what did the conflict with Hamas tell us? Um, it was very painful for many Israelis. I, I personally know uh, um, people who live next door to the family who lost a child in, in Sderot, uh, members of my uh, son-in-law's family. But at the end of the day, you're talking about 4,000 or 4,500 rockets fired incessantly with very limited results. I mean, uh, significant material damage. Uh, Clearly, there was a degree of of, uh, disruption to normal life. People woke up in uh, Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, in the middle of the night, and in the areas in the south, it was almost uh, hour by hour. But at the end of the day, um, ten, uh, I think, ten Israelis were killed. Uh, ten people in Israel were killed by rockets. A woman, two, uh, an Arab father and his lovely daughter, 
and three foreign workers. And uh, two more were killed in, uh, not, not by, by uh, the rocket fire. And of these, two, f- two died falling uh, in, in a run to sh- for shelter. One soldier was killed by a Soviet su- Russian-supplied uh, anti-tank weapon. This is a very meager take for a campaign of this size and, and this destructive intention. So if Hezbollah is looking at the balance, um, uh, there, is de- there are all forms of de- de- uh, deterrence in this world. And one element of deterrence is deterrence by denial. Uh, you're going to uh, get seriously hit, and you're not going to make that much of an impact. Israeli society has shown great resilience. Absolutely. Much more than was expected from a Western, uh, well-to-do society. I guess uh, we do show that, uh, you know, uh, the West is not uh, crumbling as the Soviet Union at the time thought, or as Hezbollah. We're talking uh, about Israel as... uh, as something which is disintegrating. This is quite amazing. That was Hitler's uh, mistake with the Blitz. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, Iran, it's uh, just to put this into uh, into numbers because the numbers are very telling. I guess out of roughly forty five hundred missiles and rockets from Gaza by Hamas, about fifteen percent fell within the boundaries of Gaza itself. Which is a densely populated area, so this must account for a significant uh, number of civilian casualties. Right, and about uh, another 20 or so percent uh, went into either the the open sea in the Mediterranean or open fields, and only the rest, I would say about, let's say, 50 percent, 50 to 60 percent, were on target of the densely populated Israeli uh, centers, but 90 percent of that were intercepted, even though the Hamas thought that they found a solution with a saturation of, um, you know, of uh, dozens of uh, uh, missiles at a time or rockets at a time. I believe they will have to go back and uh, take a look into their, um, you know, drawing board. Mm. And I believe also that would be significant on Hezbollah. What do you think this makes on uh, deterrence? about Hezbollah and a future possible campaign from Gaza? Well, deterrence is a very slippery concept. And uh, I always used to say to my European friends that I'm envious of anyone who doesn't have to think about deterrence. Of course, for many years, their safety and, and security and freedom, really, were secured by the willingness of the United States to deter the Soviet Union by being able and willing to kill millions of Russians in the first hours of, a new, of, a, of conflict. So Europe was protected by deterrence, but somebody else took care of that. And Europeans rarely, I mean, perhaps the British, perhaps the French, but rarely had to give a thought to deterrence as a concept. It's an ugly, slippery concept. And they, had, and they let the Americans worry about it. Yes. With the mad, the mutually, mad assured mutually assured destruction. destruction. Yeah. And, and, and it was really ugly uh, things to think about. So we are trying to reestablish deterrence vis-a-vis Hamas. We, have, we are trying to sustain deterrence vis-a-vis Hezbollah. We have achieved deterrence vis-a-vis our neighboring Arab nations and their standing militaries, conventional forces. Uh, but it is a slippery concept, and it, it erodes over time. Still, 
uh, if you look back to the war of 2006, which was run so poorly uh, from an Israeli point of view that uh, after the war, the, uh, I used to say that the approval rate, this is the first time in human history that the prime minister's approval ratings were lower than the rate of inflation. <laughs> uh, at the time, you were still in service, right? No, I was, uh, I was at the Just time with the American Jewish Committee. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and we looked at all... I, I joined after the war, uh, the new government of, of, uh, established after the war. And by the way, the national security staff that I joined was greatly empowered as a lesson of the mismanagement issues. And you became uh, the deputy, national, deputy security national security advisor. But if you look back to that war that was so poorly run, and it was poorly run, and I can t to talk about the, the breakdown of, of communications at the, the various level within the military and between the military and the political echelon, the whole story. But at the end of the day, Hezbollah for 15 years had to think very hard before doing anything against Israel. So they, they, we had a couple of minor incidents uh, in which they took really very, very small calculated risks. They never again tried anything of the sort uh, that they uh, attempted in the summer of 2006. So uh, 15 years later, we can say deterrence did work. And the judgment about whether or not uh, um, our uh, effectiveness in this campaign, which Israel called the guardian of the walls and uh, Hamas in its, uh, as they say in good year, in its chutzpah, uh, this called the, the sword of Jerusalem. Um, at the end of the day, I think uh, the appreciation of, of whether or not we achieve deterrence uh, will be determined by future events. Well, Iran, before we go back to the guardian of the walls or the sword of Jerusalem, uh, I want to finish on the uh, tactical, which is also a strategic issue, also of uh, deterrence, with a very good result of 90% um, success rate of interception by Iron Dome. And I believe now for the next campaign, there is many, many uh, lessons learned. And I know that already our technological people are working on the next generation of Iron Dome with the, uh, with the aim of achieving 98 uh, uh, precision and uh, success rate. As we say in the region, inshallah. Inshallah. Now, that I think I'm sure both the Iranians and Hezbollah are looking very, very closely at these results because we have to remember that the Iron Dome is but only one level of defense, of anti-ballistic yeah. defense. We have, of course, the David Sling or the Iron Dome, which is uh, the Iron Dome, the, um, the uh, magic wand uh, for the middle range. And, of course, we have for uh, ballistic missiles, we have the arrow, right? right. Which can arrow really intercept out going, of the uh, Going towards atmosphere. arrow four in right. the next few years. Now, that, I think, is an immense strategic uh, weapons, I would say, even its defense, that the government of Israel possesses. Because if, and we will talk about it, if we see that the Iranian portfolio is getting out of hand and the Iranians are trying to either cheat, as they have been all the time doing, or trying to break, uh, you know, uh, break out to the, the bomb, Israel has some um, remedy for that. And the Iranians, with all their ballistic missiles, if they see what we have done in protecting ourselves, vis-a-vis -vis Hamas, from a very short range. So if we add the two other layers, and we, if we add also our immense 
attack firepower, I think that could be of second thoughts for the Iranians whether they would move towards um, uh, the threshold, passing the threshold when they know that Israel will absolutely not let them do that. And also maybe, and what do you think, what will that make on the calculations of the United States, what that will make on the calculations of the Ayatollahs? Well, um, nobody actually leaked anything specific from the mission of uh, the outgoing head of the Mossad, Yossi Cohen, and the the, uh, National Security Advisor of Israel, uh, Mayor Ben Shabbat, uh, in Washington. But they, they went all the way up to to Biden, and they saw Biden. Which is very unusual for Biden to meet head of intelligence service. Indeed, but he understood that. Of a, uh, of they, a they foreign speak, country, yeah, yeah. This mission speaks for right, the, uh, right. the Israeli leadership. Moreover, the intimacy of intelligence knowledge and understanding of the Iranian project mm-hmm. is Israel's one of Israel's most important advantages in the conversation with the, with the American side. And I don't know to what extent they've moved the needle on uh, on the parameters of, of uh, the JCPOA agreement. We shall have to wait and see if the Americans have been able, from their position of strength, uh, and, and unifying the uh, at least the Western position around it, to retain enough leverages on Iran uh, for the day after, for the next stage, the so-called longer and stronger agreement uh, that the Biden administration uh, in conversations with Israel has committed itself to. Mm -hmm. But uh, whether this happens or doesn't, and I have my doubts, uh, it is very important that both in the context of uh, the operation in Gaza and in the context of the conversation on Iran, the Biden administration, uh, to the dismay of some of its progressive quote-unquote critics, has firmly and unequivocally asserted that Israel has the right to defend herself. And not only that, he approved and expedited against all those uh, uh, progressives in the the Democratic Party uh, the resupply resupply of the special munitions, JDAMs and other uh, precision uh, bombs. And the the replenishment of Iron Dome. Right. And I think into the sum of $735 million. Million Right. So uh, clearly uh, this right uh, of Israel serves, uh, it it is, uh, of course, there's a moral dimension here, there's a historical commitment here, but it also serves very well the interests of America in the region, uh, and specifically vis-a-vis Iran. Um, It is good to have in the deep background, as the U.S. negotiates a multi-layer or multi-level game with the Iranians, with the allies, with the Russians and the Chinese, with the region, it's always good to have in the uh, hovering in the background a serious and effective Israeli capability. A wild card. Sort of. A joker. Well, we're not that wild. We're very disciplined, <laughs> but uh, it but is... But could be very, very wild in terms of, uh, of uh, destruction, of destruction power, yeah. Uh, and uh, Israel is very much... I think one of the reasons that the IDF 
despite the ability to do so, is reluctant to actually go in, in as they used to say once, invest Gaza, conquer, conquer Hamas right. and destroy it, um, is that they do not want to be distracted mm-hmm. from the main purpose, Absolutely. which is to be able to uh, destroy Hezbollah while ha- hammering Iran if the need arises. And we have to remember, Iran, that actually Israel has used maybe, maybe, and I exaggerate, 10 to 12 percent of its firepower on Gaza. Well, uh, clearly, uh, the, this was a very calculated uh, campaign. There's also uh, the restraint that flows from our respect for international human humanitarian law. Uh, people in the West, uh, some people in the West have made it look as if Israel was slaughtering civilians. The exact opposite is uh, the, the truth. Uh, Hamas is violating uh, international Although law. Although Iran, this time I must say that the support from the international community was much better than before. We saw the visit of the um, foreign ministers of Europe, yeah, headed Germany. by Heiko Maas, as support to Israel. We didn't see any condemnations, only the French, as usual. They were trying to, uh, and, uh, to interrupt. To, to and my dismay, the Norwegians joined uh, China and Tunisia in pushing a problematic resolution. No, Norway, for some mysterious reason, is the only other member of NATO besides Turkey mm-hmm. uh, that does not understand that Hamas, or refuses to understand that Hamas is a right. terrorist organization. Now, Erdogan is not the kind of company I would recommend keeping for a country like Norway. Um, he was even uh, one of the most interesting events uh, of these last uh, dramatic weeks has been the American overt and, and, uh, and blunt condemnation mm-hmm. of Erdogan mm-hmm. for uh, going crossing uh, the threshold from criticism of Israel to blunt anti-Semitic language. And uh, for, for such censure to come from the United States government uh, is, is quite significant. No, it's, it's amazing. Also, the support from Europe, as I mentioned, short of Norway and, and maybe France. And the Biden administration showed a real, I would say, wisdom and understanding of the, um, I would say, what makes this region tick, the importance of establishing the deterrence to keep Hezbollah at bay, also to help American uh, interests. And um, Iran, just before wrapping up, I mean, we have discovered, we, we have discussed, of course, the envelope and the, the, the nefarious role of the Ayatollahs of Iran, and of course through their proxies, Hamas, Hezbollah, and others. If we go back down to the core issue of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, what do you think this uh, campaign in Gaza, the last campaign in Gaza, what did it do to the Hamas uh, reputation and prominence among Muslims in the world and within the Palestinian? What did it do to Abu Mazen and its uh, Palestinian Authority, especially in the wake of him uh, canceling the elections over there? And uh, what do you think it bodes for any possible peace talks between Israel and the Palestinian Authority? Well, uh, let's start with your last question. I don't, I don't really see a prospect for a breakthrough now towards uh, comprehensive uh, uh, negotiations. Uh, And and, uh, Tony Blinken didn't go in that direction, nor did uh, Dominic Raab. What they're trying to do is is perhaps go back. The the British British Foreign Foreign Minister Minister also came to us. 
which is in, in itself quite a significant right. parade of, of right. very senior people coming to Israel. But uh, what I think my impression is that they've, they've, un, they've come to understand that what's needed now is a much more modest approach, a confidence building process, and mainly utilizing the uh, one very important new element, the Egyptian uh, willingness to take command of the situation, put their own money or maybe money from the, the Gulf, which will be channeled through Egypt, uh, into the uh, Gaza situation, and in the process, diminish Hamas, uh, uh, empower the, the Palestinian Authority, and this is something that the Israeli policy will also be uh, aimed at. Why are the Egyptians doing it? Well, uh, there's a four, there's a six-letter word here, uh, or seven-letter word: Turkey, Erdogan. They need to ensure that uh, Erdogan's ambitions uh, and his willingness to be the patron saint of uh, Muslim Brotherhood elements like Hamas would be foiled, and that the control of the uh, post-conflict situation would be in, in their hands. And this is, is in Israel's interest. And it is remarkable that the American administration now has swung behind Sisi. Biden spoke with him twice after a very the long first time. period. Yeah. Yes, after a long period of uh, cold-shouldering him. And I think that's, uh, that's in itself a very significant development. Another element is what's happening within Israel. There was a painful outburst of anger among some elements of the Israeli Arab population. But within days, we've moved once again. I've seen the, some of the surveys uh, to a situation where the great majority of Israelis, Jews and Arabs, uh, are seeking uh, to come back to coexistence. It may even lead uh, down the road to all kinds of interesting political uh, combinations uh, which were unthinkable and within, some time ago. And within the Palestinian camp, let's say the uh, balance and the tag of war between Hamas and Abu Mazen, Fatah and the Palestinian Authority, how do you see that developing? Well, of course, the, the, the common wisdom is that Hamas has been uh, lionized and they are now the heroes. This basically assumes that the Palestinian people have the mentality of a three-year-old throwing a tantrum. If you look at it from uh, the perspective of an intelligent Palestinian individual, looking at the misery that Hamas has inflicted upon Gaza in the 14 years of rule since they took power in July 2007, uh, I, I would assume that they are capable of understanding what's better for the Palestinian people, and what's a catastrophe for the Palestinian people. So it doesn't, I don't think that the Hamas gains beyond some first rush of, of pride for their defiance uh, when you sit down and, and think soberly about these things. Very well put, Iran, very well put. I believe that uh, all those who thought that uh, maybe Hamas will gain ground, it's not the case. Hamas clearly, clearly uh, miscalculated and again, I think it shows the entire um, Judeo-Christian world, Western democracies, that Israel is here on the trenches also for them. We are here against radical Islam, uh, whether it's ISIS, whether it's Hamas or Hezbollah, and we'll continue to do that. Thank you, all of you, for watching, and we'll see you again next Middle East Review. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.